This is Patrick Daly and welcome to Interlinks. Interlinks is a program about connections, international business, supply chains and globalization and the effects these have had on our life, our work and our travel over recent times. Today on Interlinks, we will be talking to Evan Bulmer from Adelaide in South Australia, who is described as Australia's leading financial concierge and CEO wingman. Evan has 25 years experience in business, assisting and advising others through coaching and consulting services to business owners, management teams and executives. And his focus uh, on strategy implementation and measurable actions uh, sees his clients gain clarity, vision and tools required to activate successful operating behaviours and procedures. Evan's also the author of the book Numbers That Matter, and he is a member of the exclusive Pacific Rim Growth Cycle, uh, which is a group of consultants and one of only four Australians to be inducted into the USA Million Dollar Consulting Hall of Fame. Um, delighted to have you with us today, Evan. Uh, you're very welcome. Oh, wow, thank you, Patrick. Um, I appreciate that. It's um, a bit humbling listening to all that. <laughs> um, well, it's great. Uh, it's, it's great to have you here. So um, we're 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 here recording in uh, in autumn, and you are in spring, right? So it's getting warm for you while it's getting cold for us. Well, it's certainly been unseasonably wet and cold. Um, and winter's gone longer than um, normal, but we're getting some wonderful weather now. Great, uh, great. So your summer, your summer there is it? Is it generally hot, long, and warm, or or is it more yeah. varied? Well, I come from Adelaide, South Australia, and um, it's a desert climate. So um, it gets very hot in summer, 40, 42 degrees mm. um, at its peak, and Gets very cold in winter, but we don't have snow or ice. You know, okay. Zero degrees, you know, in winter, or a couple of degrees. So yeah, yeah. So I, I give an introduction there as we were uh, opening the the program. So you've been active in business for twenty five years, probably longer at this stage. So could you give me just a quick overview of your trajectory over that uh, period of time and uh, how you got to be where you are today? Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, it's it's hard to not talk about the story without talking about my old man in it. Like, um, uh, you know, my dad had a small business, several of them, and um, I worked in them from a very young age. And so, you know, we had that connection. I always knew I was going to be in business for myself. Um, and, you know, I did that at you know, 23, 24. So I'm 52 now. So, yeah, nearly 30 years of you know, if I don't sell it, I don't get to eat. Correct. So, uh, uh, and that gave you then the the foundation to build a business you you've built. So, how how did that how did that happen, and what kind of activities did you get into, or what was? Well, uh, I mean, I think appealing uh, to you. Yeah, I mean, some of it is just how we get pushed along the road. Um, you know, some of the points that I think about are, you know, watching my old man's business, I discovered that, you know, the need for good financial data, good numbers, um, having that sort of infrastructure mattered to the decision-making process. So I was always fascinated by, you know, what information could you get out of a business in order to help the business owner make better decisions? Um, so I've always come at it from that 
perspective, you know. Um, so I've tried to, uh, you know, I guess over time, if it was a problem for my business owners, and I now have, you know, 30-year relationships with some of my clients, um, that life cycle, if it's been a problem for them as a business owner, it's a problem for me. So, um, uh, you know, that's kind of how it started. Yeah. So you're described as Australia's leading financial concierge and a CEO wingman. So what does that entail? I mean, being a financial concierge on the one hand, and well, I think CEO wingman on the other. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I probably didn't start out that way. You know, I started out like a typical accountant, I suspect, you know, but over 30 years, you keep tooling up, you get smarter, you have more experience, you see more situations both in your own business and in your clients. And so um, I keep developing services that is aimed at um, the privately held business owner. Um, and so, therefore, you know, I can help them um, set up their business. I can help them with organisational development. You know, I mean, I think the real magic in growing businesses is how small businesses use their team, their people. Um, but equally, at some point, they want to sell out. So I help them do that. Mm -hmm. um, and it all gets tied up in how do you maximise the value of a business? Therefore, how do you get the most out of the team that you've got? Um, in order to generate a result, and that term concierge, what does what, what does that mean in the in the context well, think, of what you do? Well, because there's such a range of services that we can offer, it really does depend on the client's unique set of circumstances in terms of where you might start working with them. Um, uh, for example, um, some of the businesses that I work with, the privately held small businesses, you know, they've got a terrible um, a system for producing numbers. So there's very little data or no one believes the data. And so, you know, to me, they're flying blind. Um, so you have to start there with some businesses. Um, uh, you know, from the point of view of organisational development, the, the how you utilise your talent pool is fascinating to me because I have got living proof of giving people a bit of autonomy, um, some direction, and some metrics and numbers to back up their position, um, how incremental improvements in teams get dramatic results at the other end. Mm. Um, you know, for me, it's not unusual to get two and three and four-time multiples on current profit levels. You know, an $800,000 business now starts making 2.2. Okay. So is this, uh, is this growth in volume in sales or is it just doing things differently well, operationally or a combination of? Well, I think it's a combination of all of that. You know, businesses need to, first of all, have a look at their customer base. You know, um, who are they um, selling to? Mm. Um how often, um, what's their retention rate, you know, what's their uh, strategy for getting in new customers. Um, it, it's got that, you know, it starts there. Um, at some point that's going to produce a revenue line for you in terms of your, um, from your customer base. Um, then it's about how you um, work with that. Now, I get the impression that what you're doing is you're creating clarity and insight through numbers and then with that clarity and insight you're able to uh take 
decisions, different uh, yeah, I think alternatives. Yeah. yeah, I agree. I think what I've learned, in, you can go into a lot of business conversations um, and there isn't numbers attached to it. And so you get sort of things like, um, you know, we need more people, we're busy. Um, you get that kind of uh, conversation going. When you put numbers around it, you can start to, um, uh, you know, shore up some of these issues. So, you know, is it really a productivity problem or what have you? So I think numbers help the conversation a lot. Yeah, and then for you've uh, you've produced this um, numbers that matter um, publication or, or or books. What what's the what's the premise of that, and what's the target audience? It's um, aimed at the business owner. Um, it's it really comes from the premise that all businesses uh, have a um, profit and loss and a balance sheet, a scorecard, if you like. And um, uh, instead of, you know, just looking at the scorecard as the end product, I like to turn it around and go, what activities, you know, can be done in the business? What can be done differently that would generate a different or improved result? And from there, I just go through in the chapters in my book about, you know, the numbers I think you should be pulling out, which is um, definitely, you know, metrics around customers, retention rate, um, conversion rate, because the selling part of any business is important. And um, uh, you're, from there, uh, you're, a lot of magic can happen in a business. And where can people get hold of that uh, that book? Is it on Amazon and other platforms? Yeah, I believe it's on Amazon and on my website. Excellent. What's your website? www.ebaa.com.au. So, and you've also trademarked this concept of strategy to cash. So what, what is strategy to cash and what are the typical outcomes of its application? Well, I think, um, you know, if I suggest that there's sort of five numbers you need to worry about from a revenue point of view, there's probably only eight or nine after that that turn that into money in the bank. Um, so I'm sort of saying if you can get grasp of about 13 numbers, then you've probably got an overview of the metrics you need to keep track of in order to turn whatever strategy you're running from a um, client-based point of view um, into money in the bank. Because in you know business I play in, privately held, there are no deals done until the money's in the bank. Um, and you can see businesses that don't have a handle on um, cash flow type issues and therefore think just growing revenue is going to fix their problem and often it won't. Mm-hmm. So, so, so what would you say out of those numbers just mm-hmm. here for this conversation, two or three of the kind of key ones that most small private health, privately held businesses should be focusing on? Well, I'm going to suggest that not enough of them um, have triaged their customer base and worked out, you know, who are the, the better customers, the more profitable customers, more like the ideal customer that they want to have. Um, so I think, you know, that's a strategy piece. That's about having a vision of the future for the business. Um, uh, from that point of view, then, you know, um, uh, you quantify that. How many of them do you have? And how often are they buying? And what's their revenue? And what's the the profitability from that? And you know, start there. You know, you can. Um, I tell you something else. I think happens a lot in the work that I do. You know, take the bottom twenty percent. This Pareto principle. Take the bottom twenty percent. 
that's usually causing you a lot of grief in your business and get rid of it. Mm. Fire your, um, fire, your, fire your customers, fire your worst customers in effect. Well, yeah. You know, I mean, you know, here at least, you know, we're at three and a half percent unemployment. It's very difficult to get people. Um, uh, you know, when you're in that kind of environment, it's difficult just to grow by saying we're going to suck up more talent to take on the growth. But you have to be strategic about your growth. Yeah. Um, and therefore, you need to be really concentrating on you know, <laughs> what business are you really in and who is your ideal customer. Yeah, that um, th- that shortage of skills and labour that you're experiencing in in Australia is being experienced in most developed countries. I know it certainly is here in Ireland. And I know from speaking to our colleagues in the US, it is also. Yeah. What, what, what do you think is at, at the root of that? Where have all the people gone? What's happening? Well, I mean, we changed habits dramatically in the last two and a half years you know, in this pandemic. And so we've got a situation where, you know, industries are trying to get going, the tourism industry here, and um, getting people back isn't straightforward. They've retooled, they've gone somewhere else. Um, remember, there was just a lot of money piled up and pumped into the system. So demand went through the roof. So, you know, if you were making stuff and selling stuff, you know, you, things were good and are good. Supply chain's a massive problem, of course. You know, it's taking forever. You can sell stuff and not deliver it for a year. Correct. Um, uh, From my point of view, how do you speak to that customer over that 12 months matters? Because you can lose them in that long sales cycle. 93.9, Dublin South FM. So now we're in a new financial environment so i'm interested to ask you this question because you're a financial person so what does a high interest environment mean for business investment and business strategy and how is it going to be fundamentally different from the period we're leaving behind which was kind of like 20 plus years of low inflation it's like a new world we're in right oh i would agree um uh you know i think some things hold true though um Interest rates had to move because they were at an all-time low for a long time. So no one in business that was thinking, you know, 2% was going to last forever. We're talking about going to six. That's not catastrophic. Um, you know, most businesses that we work with would have that tolerance in their um, systems and their cash flows. Mm-hmm. Um uh, inflationary environments can be okay in terms of making sure you get price increases if you can do that. It's terrible for some industries, like the building industry, it's woeful. You can imagine, you've got a fixed price contract, you can't do anything with the revenue line and your costs are going through the roof. You know, that they, they were going broke in this country, um, left, right and centre as a result. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, whenever I look at those kinds of situations, the businesses that we work with, you know, oh, look, there's so much to gain by looking inside and making sure you're doing the right thing in your business with the people you have, um, you know, the external circumstances um, will all they're going to be what they are. We're going to survive. Does it, do you think it will lead to better decisions in the allocation of capital in the sense that when money was cheaper, virtually free, there's all sorts of projects that attracted capital investment that maybe shouldn't have? And w- will that, do you think, improve in a high inflation environment? 
Well, I think um, some of the issues that I see is combating, say, um, uh, the Reserve Bank strategy to lift interest rates to try and combat inflation. You've also got governments, or our government anyway, um, with tax um, breaks coming and spending programs that are huge and, you know, It's almost like you know the two things are are opposed, if you ask me. Um, so I, I, you know, therefore I say there's money floating around the system. I'm not sure it's going to affect um, that much in terms of capital decisions. You know, mm-hmm. I think money's still getting invested the way it was before, and people, you know, um, just lower returns may be expected. Yeah, and I guess now with with um, those two things, so high inflation and low availability of labour and skills, it, uh, and one of the things you can do to combat inflation is increase your productivity. And it suggests to me that we're going to see a big wave of automation across businesses, all types of automation, from process automation to operational automation. What what would be your view on on that? Do you think there is a confluence of things coming together to push automation forward? I would agree with you, and certainly process improvement, automation. You just have to do more with less, and you have to get smart about it. Um, uh, Yeah. Now, through um, COVID, a lot of people shifted to work online. And I know in my own work, um, we we didn't know when it it came to us first in early 2020, what it would mean and would we be able to do it. But we found that we very successfully were able to transfer a lot of our work uh, to um, uh, the remote mode of delivery uh, through uh, Zoom and uh, Skype and Teams and mm. other things. So, how much of of your work is done mm. remotely now, and um, how has that changed since before the pandemic? Well, me personally, I was already doing a fair bit remotely because I, I've found that you can implement a lot of things with this kind of technology. Um, I had a lot. I had resistance against you know, with some of my clients around. Um, Doing that post COVID, no resistance. Um, a lot more change gets through faster. I feel now. Um, yeah, this is the idea of never let a good uh, crisis go to waste. So we were able yeah, to push I, push forward changes that maybe we weren't able to push forward before. I, I see that a lot, um, and uh, you know, necessarily you got to. Um, innovate strategies around attracting talent and keeping talent um, in a marketplace where you've got high demand <laughs> um, and a dearth of talent. Mm-hmm. Has, culture has, reigns supreme in that environment. You know, you've got to be an attractive place to work because most people have either existing jobs or job offers when they come to the table. Yeah. Has remote work uh, extended your geographical reach? Is that something that's happened or or, or you want it to happen? Oh, sure. I mean, you know, we're doing this now. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, From Ireland to Australia, me, right? Yeah. Look, mainly for me, it becomes about implementation. Some of the clients I work on have multiple locations. Um, and you need um, a tool like this in order to bring people together um, to create a culture for a whole 
business across locations. You know, it would be difficult to do otherwise. Face to face matters still, um, but you could implement a lot online. Yeah. And do you, do you work internationally or is it something uh, that is part of your strategy plans for the future? It, it, honestly, Patrick, it's not. Um, you know, I, um, I have a marketplace called South Australia that I've operated in for 30 years and, um, you know, I quite enjoy it. I, I certainly have international connections in terms of um, learning and growing because I think um, some of the best organisational development and management techniques and what have you, you know, they, they, the US market's got to stitched up. You kind of got to go there to learn. Um, uh, but, yeah, know, I apply it to my local marketplace and love it. Yeah, this is a this is the Pacific Rim growth cycle that you're involved with. What 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 is that, and who's involved, and how does it work, and what? Do well, you- I am. Um, yeah, look, you know, it's Dr. Alan Weiss's um, group. Um, you know, I think if anyone is in the consulting game and doesn't know Dr. Alan Weiss, then they should get his book. Um, and I've been working, um, you know, with like-minded consultants in a group of seven or eight. Um, for six or seven years now. Um, and you know, look, if it's true of me in terms of learning from peers, I, I will suggest that it's true of a lot of the organisations I work with too, where a lot of peer learning that it can be encouraged and systems put in place to encourage it um, can do some amazing amazing things for your business. Yeah, yeah. So next, next question, we're going to change tack a bit. We're going to maybe have a kind of a look at the world. So I'll paint a picture for you and then ask you a question about Australia in that and uh, see, 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 see what your view is. So, you know, over recent years, as we've all seen, we've had kind of multiple shocks, most noticeably COVID and the war in Ukraine, which is driving these supply chain disruptions and inflation that we spoke about earlier. And they, all of these shocks have been kind of occurring in the context of wider shifts to do with demographics and geopolitics, energy transition, technology, Mm. social media, and so on. So we're headed to some other place, quite a different place from where we've come from. So where do you think the world is heading in in, in this decade, uh, one? And then how do you see Australia positioning itself within that future world? Well, I think um, uh, you know, Australia will do, and Australians will do what we've always done well, and that is um, innovate and find opportunity. Um, so, you know, we we've had China aggressively take markets off us, um, and you know, those markets have had to find new ways and often better ways um, to sell their product. Um, so, you know, look, I think we are concerned about, you know, what China might do with Taiwan and, and you know, what that could present another shock for our region. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, largely, though, I think the average Australian just, you know, gets on with it, you know. So Australia, I guess Australia in recent years, over the last 20 years, has become a supplier of, um, resources and commodities to to China, and perhaps its own manufacturing base has has eroded. Is that mm. is that true? And do you see that changing? 
I don't see it changing, no. Um, I just don't think we've got the um, appetite to, you know, like our US counterparts are talking about reassuring all their manufacturing. Um, you know, that's just not an option for us. Um, because of cost or why, why not? <laughs> We're 25 million people, mate, on a, you know, big piece of land that it's expensive. You know, our electricity is expensive because we are pushing hard towards a renewable type world. And, um, you know, so far it's proving a little expensive to get there. Mm. Um, uh, you know, and our labour is through the roof in terms of, you know, by comparative countries around us. So I think we're going to be, um, you know, manufacturing and continue to have our links overseas. Like I can't see how we're going to get away from China. I can't see that we can do it. Mm. So is, is Australia is Australia building and strengthening its links with its other neighbours in in the region as a kind of counterweight to China? You know, the likes of yeah. Indonesia and Malaysia and Philippines, these countries. Yeah, I would say yes, definitely. Um, uh, you know, you can see evidence of that um, everywhere in terms of um, how industries you know, work with um, our counterparts there. Mm-hmm. So as we come into the last couple of minutes of the uh, the interview, I might uh, uh, ask you a few questions about about yourself, about Evan Bulmer. So, what, what kind of things do you like to do in your in your spare time? Okay, I um, uh, I'm 52. I play um, AFL Masters, so um, I play AFL football, which is Australian rules football. Yeah. Um, for the fifty to fifty-five year olds, uh, <laughs> I'd say uh, I'd say you what you're pretty sore when you come back after a game, yeah. Oh yeah, we only play once a fortnight because it's <laughs> the a, recovery a time, yeah? yeah, a little bit of recovery time. <laughs> um, I just came out of competing in a carnival, um, representing my state. Um, we played three games in five days. Well, mate, you know you're a bit sore after that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. So uh, are you are you reading or listening to anything at the moment, you know, books, audiobooks, podcasts that you would recommend or that you found particularly inspiring? Well, I mean, I think, um, uh, you know, the two that I think are from a business point of view, um, and there's the Rockefeller Habits by Vern Harnish. Um, I think that is a really good book in terms of, um, Processes for implementing strategy in business, um, and uh, look like anything that's written by Dr. Alan Weiss. And where can people find out more about you, more about your work, and how can they contact you? Email evan at eba.com.au. And your website? Online anytime. www.evaa.com.au. And I guess you're going to be on LinkedIn as well, which is Evan Bulmer. That's it. I should I should remember that. You know, Bulmer's is a Bulmer's is quite a famous name here in Ireland because there's a famous brand of cider uh, called Bulmer's Bulmer cider. I don't know if you've ever come across it. Have you ever seen it? Oh my, it's 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 famous down here too. Bulmer cider, for sure. Okay, okay. Um, so they have that. Uh, Sadly, I'm not related to anyone there. <laughs> Okay, Evan, well, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, talking to you today, as, as always, and uh, wish you the, the very best for the future, both professionally and personally. 
Thank you very much, Patrick. Thanks for having me on. Thanks again to our listeners for tuning in. So until next time, keep well and stay safe. Stay safe.